I am. I'm really excited to be back. We're going to have some fun today, and we're going to have some pain today. Yeah, exactly. Fun and, and a bit of pain together. Um, I'm really excited about this series, this Logos series. We dive into the power and the importance, but also the, the work of God's Word in our lives. And, um, you know, we started two weeks ago, as Justin just shared. Uh, and as we did, I, I, I explained something that I want to kind of re-explain to us again today. This is a corrective word for us in this season for us as the vine. What I'm preaching in this series over these four weeks uh, is something that I believe God wants to convict us of, and God wants to invite us to change. Uh, and, and God does this in seasons of a church's life. He brings a word that is designed to actually ho- hold us to account uh, for something that is happening either within us individually, or in particular in a church context, within us communally, that God wants to call out. And I said two weeks ago uh, what I think that is, and I, and I think it's essentially this, um, that we have a desire to be entertained by the Word of God, but no desire to be disrupted by it. Say that again. We have a desire to be entertained by God's Word, for, for God's Word to be a, a kind of a source for self-help for us, God's Word to be a, a place where we could um, grow from and, 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 and have it confirm like our prosperity and all the things that we want to have great in our lives, but we don't actually have a desire for that Word to come and actually deeply call us to account for our sin. For that word to come and begin to do its work in us that actually painfully transforms us into the person that God truly wants us to be. We want to have our ears tickled, but we don't want to be on our knees. Come on, church. And and, and the reality is, I realize that this was me. You know, when God so often brings a word to the church, he, He brings the word through leadership. Because leadership are to be an account to the church. And God told me off quite deeply that here I am standing up in front of people week in, week out, delivering God's word, asking for them to change when I wasn't that interested in changing myself. And I realized that something needed to change here, that I had to open myself, maybe a better way of saying it, reopen myself for God's word to come again, to really do the thing that God really wants to do in me. And I wonder, I challenge you, that I think it might be the same for you. When I was on sabbatical, God word uh, came to me in this way. And again, I spoke about this two weeks ago, but he led me to three passages of scripture. The first was Amos 8, verses 11 to 13. And that's not an easy passage to read. And basically in there, it says a famine is coming to the land. And it's a famine of being able to hear the words of God. And if there's ever a season in life where the church in Hong Kong needs to be hearing the Word of God so that it can be relevantly shaped to face the political challenges that we have in our city right now, it's now. And God's saying, the vine, you're in danger of in the season when you need to hear my Word the most, failing to actually hear it. And the question that that scripture brought for us was, do we really want the famine? You don't want it. So therefore, something needs to change. Which led me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it describes what the Word of God is. It says, you want to know what the Word is? The Word is a double-edged sword. No, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. A sword is not a piece of entertainment. A sword is a weapon of war. And when God brings His Word, it is a weapon of war to fight back all the ways that the enemy has tried to gain something in our lives. And a a sword, the Word is described as this double edge. It cuts on the way in. It cuts on the way out. God's Word, if it is powerful and effective, if it's going to do the things that it's going to do in your life, it's going to cut you up a little bit. 
It's going to come and divide some things. It's going to come and name some things that are not comfortable for you to wrestle with. It's going to come and, and put a finger on that sin that no one else knows about, but you know is buried deep down inside of you. That's what the Word of God is designed to do. Do we want it? Which led me to the third passage, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And, and in that passage, the the Bible describes through what happens in the calling of Jeremiah what God wants to do with His Word over all His people for all time. And actually, I want to start today by reading that passage to you because it's really important that we get our heads around this because this is what's going to be over the next three weeks. We're going to unpack this specific verse. Jeremiah 1 verse 9 says, Then the Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth and said to me, uh, Now I have put my words in your mouth. There it is, God's word placed in Jeremiah's mouth to do something. And he says, here's what it does. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God, God comes to Jeremiah at a, at a time of real deep importance in Israel's history. And, and, and he's like, Jeremiah, you're going to have to stand in front of the nations, which includes Israel. And you're going to say something because I'm going to put words in your mouth. And what those words are going to do are these six things. They're going to uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build and plant. Two thirds of them are words about destruction. Are words about disruption are words that are not comfortable. And, and, and it's important that we, we grasp this because when it's presented in the Hebrew, it's presented in a way that really explains to Israel exactly what God's Word wants to do. I, I want to actually show you the structure here and, and how it works. Uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build, plant. So three sets of couplets. But notice the play on words in the Hebrew. The word for uproot, natash, the word for tear down, the thoughts. The word for destroy, havid. The word for overthrow, haras. The word for build, ornut. The word for plant, tuts. So it's like this little play on words that is trying to say there's these two things in these three verses. These two things play on each other. There's an uprooting and there must be a tear downing. And if you're going to destroy, it'll involve some overthrowing. And when you build, it's going to, it's going to come out of something that you planted. So, so God's Word comes in these couplets to begin to do its deep-seated Word in us. And I said in week one, are we willing to allow God in His Word to truly do the work? And, and I put that challenge out to us today. And over the next three weeks, we're going to take one line each week, and we're going to look at what God is really trying to say to us. Let's start with the, with the first line this week, uproot and tear down. The word uproot, this word, uh, no, what is it? It's natosh. It's the word natosh literally means this. It means to have something that is rooted out of you and it's forcibly removed, forcibly uprooted. That word is really important because in the Hebrew concept, it wasn't like, oh, you know, to uproot something, it's just a nice little, you know, pluck it out, you know. It's like a deep, painful, forcible remove. It's going to hurt, in other words. That's the emphasis of the word. And then that's paired with this other word, which means tear down. It means to literally pull down, to tear down, or to tear into pieces something that has been kind of created or constructed that needs to be brought down to the right level. So these two words come together, the uproot and the tear down. Now, here's the fascinating thing. 
Jeremiah uses these two words throughout the book of, of Jeremiah, throughout his prophetic word, and he uses them all the time together. And he does so in primarily two different metaphors. You need to track with this because these two metaphors become how we are to now understand how it applies today. These two metaphors, the first one is the metaphor of a, a city and a group of people on a land, and they've settled in that land. And Jeremiah brings God's word, and he says, if you do not repent and change, God is going to uproot you from the land that you're settled in. He's going to pull you up from all the roots that you have in community, for all the ways in which you are settled in that physical place. He's going to uproot you and carry you into a foreign place, a place where you don't have any roots. And in order for God to uproot you, he's going to have to tear down the structures that you've created, the, the walls and the rooms and the buildings. He'll uproot you by tearing those things down, and then he'll carry you into exile and place you into a new position. And it's a position where you're not comfortable and you're out of your security. And this is throughout Jeremiah, whether it's for Israel and also for other nations. And we know history tells us that Israel don't listen to Jeremiah's call. And exactly what Jeremiah is saying here comes to pass. Some 100 years after Jeremiah's prophetic voice, Israel, Babylon comes in, destroys Jerusalem, tears down all the structures of that city, including the structure of the temple, and then takes a remnant, uproots them from Jerusalem, and carries them off and places them down in Babylon where they struggled because they were out of their comfort and security. Is that making sense? So when we see uproot and tear down, Jeremiah is speaking about the uncomfortableness of being ripped out of a place of rootedness and placed then into somewhere that we're not familiar. The second metaphor is one that is probably more familiar for us when we hear the words uproot and tear down. And that's the idea of an agricultural metaphor. And Jeremiah, again, throughout his book, speaks of uprooting and tearing down in the idea of like a plant or a tree. And he, and he says that a tree has all of these roots in it. And those roots will either create health for the tree or they will create destruction for the tree. And his prophetic word over Israel is that you need to be careful because there's sin in the camp and the roots, therefore, are rotten. And if the roots are rotten, then the tree itself that the roots are built upon is also going to be rotten because by the roots come the fruit. And he says, because my word is coming, you can repent now. You can change now. But if not, here's what God's word's going to do. It's going to uproot and tear down, so remove the roots, cut down the tree, so that it can liberate that thing. See, see, this is a word of grace to Israel, even though it's painful. Remember, I said we're going to have some fun and some pain. It's a good word. It, it was God's grace in them to say, I don't want Babylon for you. Equally, I don't want you walking around with sin and idolatry and brokenness in you. I've got so much more for you. So my word will come if you allow it, if you open yourself to it, if you embrace it, it will come to uproot all of that hurt and pain and sin and brokenness. It will tear down all of the false comforts that you've created around yourself to wall you out of all of that pain. It'll do that. Why? To punish you? No. It'll do that because God wants you released into your fullness. He wants shalom for you. He wants you to become the person that he longs and dreams for, so he's willing for the sword to cut you down. Come on, church. Are we willing? Are, are we really, though, 
willing to allow God's word to do that in us. Here's the question. What is it that needs to be uprooted and torn down in your life? Everybody stand. No, don't stand. Don't worry. But if I was to ask you that question, I think we might have some different responses in this room. And actually, that question is the one that I want you to sit with throughout the week ahead. I want you to ask yourself personally and honestly, God, what is it? Because I I don't want to be in the famine. I don't want to be in exile. What is it, God, that I've settled into and put roots down on, that I've planted in myself deeply, that is not of you and is unhealthy, and what now, God, needs to be uprooted and changed? Because that's what these two metaphors are doing. The metaphor of the city with its walls and its land, and the metaphor also of the tree and its roots. Both of those two metaphors are saying the same thing about God's Word, and it's a deep challenge to us. They are both saying to us this, that God's Word is designed to come to forcibly remove anything in us that we have settled ourselves into or we have placed deep roots in us that's unhealthy. And it's designed to come to remove anything that is unhealthy in us that we've constructed around us or allowed to grow up within us. Are you you with me? These two things is what God's Word's going to do. If we've settled into something or we've rooted ourselves in something that is unhealthy, it'll come to uproot. And if we've constructed something around us or we've defended ourselves with behaviors and actions that are not of Him, He also wants to tear them down. And He's doing it because He wants you truly free. So what needs to change in your life? What needs to change in our church's life? What needs to change in my life? Well, to help us to understand that, I want to talk about today two broad categories. I'm not going to try to assume that I understand what it is that God wants to do for you individually, whether you're online right now listening or whether you're in this room. I'm not going to assume I know. But what I want to do is talk about two broad categories, one in which I think God wants to come and uproot and one that I think in which God wants to tear down. And these two broad categories, a lot of our sin and a lot of our brokenness, they sit within these two things. So I'm going to talk about the broad categories, and then it's your homework to work out what it is that God wants to say within that category. Does that make sense to you? So, so the first category is the idea of what we have in us in terms of our core beliefs. And some of our core beliefs are broken and faulty and wrong, and they need to be uprooted in us. That's the first broad category. The second broad category is that there are behaviors and actions that we do that we've constructed around us to give ourselves a sense of self-sufficiency. And we do this because we are defending, we're trying to create a place of comfort and security in response to the broken identity that is in us. And that thing needs to be torn down by God. So those broad categories of our core beliefs and our behaviors are the things that I want to talk to you about. And I'm, and I'm going to do that by actually mapping out for you here a diagram that's going to involve some psychology mixed with the Word of God. Is that all right? You've come to school today. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Now, psychology will tell you that your behavior is a direct result of what you think. When you think, you then act. So your thoughts and your behavior are intimately linked together. And when we think is when we act, okay? So this is a kind of an underlying kind of assumption, if you will, that psychology brings to us. Now, what psychology will tell you is that your thought life 
is not just random. Your thought life, which drives your behavior, actually comes from an intricate, complex system of beliefs. In fact, the idea, or what they use to call this, is what's known as core beliefs. Now, these, um, these core beliefs are found right inside of you in the very depth of who you are. It's the foundational level of your identity. Now, when you're a Christian, you read core beliefs, you're thinking like, Jesus is the Son of God. No, not like that, okay? These core beliefs are the things that we have in us that cause us to operate in the world. So they're the things that drive us to have a, or, or to think about how we interact with God, how we interact with ourselves, how we interact with others around us, and how we interact in the whole world. And the foundational core beliefs are things that are set in us from an early age. When you're young, it's like wet cement in you. And as you grow up through the influences of your family, the influences of your culture, through your life experiences, through the various things that go good in your life, the things that go wrong in your life, your pain, your hurt, whether you were bullied in school, whether relationships go well, whether, whether your, your girlfriends and boyfriends always break up with you, whatever it is, all of that stuff that happens in life, the suffering that comes, the joy, it all goes to create the core beliefs in you. And eventually, over time, those core beliefs get, get kind of dried up like that wet cement gets dried, and it's solidified, and that becomes the foundation of who you are. Does that make sense? And here's the reality. Some of those core beliefs are awesome and good and help you to function as a nice, kind human being. And a lot of those core beliefs are lies that the enemy has implanted in you that need to be uprooted. Still tracking? Now, our core beliefs do this thing. They create in us this thing known as assumptions. Now, what's really important to know about your core beliefs and the assumptions that they create is that they are all hidden to you. You're not conscious of these things. You're not going through them in your mind every day. They are buried within you, but they are there nonetheless. Your core beliefs drive your assumptions about things, about God, about yourself, about others, and about the world. And all of that is done without you even having to think about it. It's naturally a process in your subconscious. But that then comes into this thing called automatic thoughts. Now, we all have automatic thoughts every single day of our lives, all day long. Some of you are having the automatic thought right now of when is lunch? Bad. Automatic thoughts come all the time. They come up around us. They, they come into our minds. You might be standing next to someone on the MTR, a random stranger. You glance at them, and you suddenly have an automatic thought about them. It might be a good one, or it might be a bad one. It just comes into your mind, and you make a judgment, or you assume something, or something takes place, and it just comes into your mind. You're conscious of your automatic thoughts. You hear them in your head, right? You, but you're, you can't control them because they come up from this subconscious part of you. And they just arise in your mind, and then this is what happens, is that those automatic thoughts are the things that actually drive your behavior. So if you're standing on the MCR, and you look at the person on the right, and you see them, and you look at them, and you think, they smell, they look disheveled, they look poor, I'm uncomfortable, that's your automatic thought, you then potentially, in your behavior, might move a little bit further away from them. Is this all making sense to you? Some of you falling asleep. It's okay. Wake up in the name of Jesus. It's all right. Now, 
Let me tie all this into the Word of God now. So Jeremiah comes, and he says, God's Word is in my mouth, and here's what that Word's going to do. It's going to uproot and tear down. Here's what Jeremiah is talking about. There are these things. These two things are on the surface of our lives. These two things are underneath the surface in our subconscious. And it's like these things are the root system, if you will, of our thought life and of our behavior. These two Big ones down here. And, and they create this intricate network in us that we're not even aware of, but is deeply rooted in us of all of this thinking and this way of doing life and, and all the assumptions we have about people and ourselves and God and others. It's just an intricate whole network of roots. Does that make sense? Eh, okay. And then... Now, I'm going to draw a tree. I'm going to try to draw a tree. It's going to look like a baby's hand, okay? But it's actually a tree because here's what Jeremiah is saying is then there's this stuff that's actually on the surface that we see and that we're aware of, and that's our automatic thoughts, and that's our behavior. And what Jeremiah is saying is, here's what God's Word is going to do. It's going to come, and it's going to bring healing to you. It's going to be fun and painful, because God wants you to change. And He's not just going to snip away at the tree. He's not interested in behavior modification. The Word of God is like a double-edged sword. It's going to come, because if you just ship away and snip away at some of those they're just going to grow back. Even if you were to cut the tree down without dealing with the roots, it's just going to grow back. In other words, if God is really going to change you, he has to uproot and tear down. Are you with me? Why is this important? Because we have core beliefs that are in all of us that are lies that the enemy has put in us from a young age or from a, a circumstance that happened in us or we've interpreted something poorly and it's created a lie in us and we believe a lie. And it's a lie because the core belief in us that we have goes against what God says of us. Let me, let me give you some examples. I might have the core belief in me that I am not lovable. Because maybe I didn't get enough love in my family. Maybe I had some bad experiences. Maybe I was bullied in school. Maybe every relationship I've ever had, I've always been dumped and it's hurt. So I have a core belief now that I am unlovable. That's a lie of the enemy because God is love and God says he loves me unconditionally. But for whatever reason, I've allowed this core belief to be solidified in me. And it says I am unlovable, which drives the assumption that people will abandon me. People are going to give up on me. They're going to abandon me. And because they're going to abandon me, I have this automatic thought when I'm in a social setting. I've got to be careful not to get too close to people in this room. And I've got to be careful not to get too close to the people in this room. Because if I do, I'm going to get hurt again because they will abandon me. Which automatic thought creates the behavior in us of defensiveness and withdrawing from the people around us. You tracking with this? Let me give you another example, maybe a more personal example from my own life. I've shared a lot with you guys over the years about the fact that I've struggled with insecurities in my life. I've struggled with the things that, that I've had that, that are just insecure around my giftings or around who I am as a person. And God's been dealing a lot in that. I have the false core belief that I am not good enough. And that false core belief of I am not good enough has created assumptions in me that there are always people that are better than I am. 
And because there are always people better than I am, let, let me give you a very practical example right now. I have the automatic thought, this sermon isn't helping anyone. And because that's my automatic thought, even in the midst of preaching to you every Sunday, I have the behavior to go, is anyone getting this? <laughs> Remember when I say that? You've heard that before, haven't you? Now, not every time I say that is it because I'm insecure. But there are often times where I will say, are you getting this? Are you following this? Because you look like you're not. Or I'm interpreting your behavior of being asleep as the behavior to me that I am not good enough. Are you with me? Now, in both cases, I am not good enough, I am not lovable, I'm believing something that is contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God says that I am lovable, the Word of God says that God loves me fully, the Word of God says I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the Word of God says that I am anointed and gifted, and that God wants to use me in those things. And I may not be the best at everything, but God wants me to be who I am, true to my giftings in my context. That's what the Word of God says, I'm believing something contrary to the Word of God. That's why the Word of God is the only thing that can come and uproot and tear down what is contrary to it. And that's why God wants to come and do this in us. And He wants to come and deal with all of this stuff. This is why Paul, let me take psychology and marry it to Scripture. This is why Paul in Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Do not any longer be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your spirit. No. The renewing of your practices, no. the renewing of your mind, the way you think, the way that there are constructs in you. What Paul's saying is don't anymore be conformed to the patterns, the roots, the brokenness, the, the network of all of this stuff that is a lie. Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed. May your behavior be transformed by the renewing, by the word of God, your whole being. The way you think is the way you act. And so God wants to come and uproot the deepest things in you to release you to be able to be the person he's fully called you to be. Fun and painful. So here's the question. Are we really willing to allow the process of God to come and uproot in us if it is that painful? Because here's the thing. You ask any gardener or any construction foundation sort of construction worker, they'll tell you that the uprooting of something is really hard work. They'll tell you that it's really painful work. You, when you want to uproot a tree, let's just stick with Jeremiah's agricultural metaphor. If you want to uproot a tree, you don't just grab the little bush by its stem and go, it's hard. Have you ever tried, have you ever literally tried to go out into Hong Kong after this message, right, and grab a tree and just try to like, seriously, because I know we're not very nature here, but try and grab that thing, right? It is rooted deeply. In other words, it's impossible. The only way you're going to get that up is by getting a, 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 a trowel or a spade and doing the hard word of digging right around all that intricate root system so that basically when you finally loosen the soil enough, you can drag it with all your might. And what's going to come up is a whole bunch of roots that are covered with all this muck and dirt and everything. You're not just going to pull the roots up. You're going to pull up everything that seems to be attached to those roots. And the scriptures say that our sin so easily entangles in us. In other words, we've got to realize that if we really want God to change us, it's going to be hard and painful. It's going to rip some stuff that is deeply embedded out of us. It has to be that way. Are we willing 
for that process. I think what we're seeing happening in the U.S. right now is such a critical turning point in that nation, such a critical conversation that's happening there around all of this systemic injustice, systemic racism. But I want to speak to this for a moment because I think I can't preach on this today and unpack this scripture with you without applying it to the realities of what we're facing. And and we're in danger in Hong Kong, I think, of looking at what's happening in America and recognizing the, the importance of that conversation in the U.S. and thinking that that conversation doesn't need to happen here. I think we're in danger in Hong Kong of celebrating the the fact that that conversation is at work and that there's stuff happening and that there's change coming and not actually being willing to ask the questions of what changes need to happen here because systemic racism is not an American issue. It's all of our issue. What's happening there is happening right here. It's my issue. And I need to be asking myself the deep and hard questions. What racism sits within me? What systemic racism are we seeing in our society? And and here's the reality. I want to say a couple of things about systemic racism and racialization. Racialization is the idea that that we judge somebody in society based on their color or based on their culture because we've heard stories or we've seen others act in that way and we think everybody, therefore, is going to act in that way. That's the idea of racialization. So let me unpack a few things here. First is this. That, the, that the, uh, pr- the problem of systemic racism and racialization is not actually essentially a, a problem of diversity. It's essentially a problem of hierarchy. It, it's a problem of some people thinking that they are better because of their culture and their context and race than other people. And it's a hierarchical power issue. And these people here want to subject and oppress those under here simply because they don't think they're valued enough. They've devalued humanity. Racism always begins with the devaluing of humanity, the devaluing of that group of people so that the people here can keep those people under power, under oppression, under their authority. So essentially, when you're talking about systemic racism, Yes, you're talking about the realities of different diverse cultures, but you're really talking about the the fact that one culture is asserting power over another culture, and that's oppression and subjugation. Now, in that comes the reality that because this is happening, it's happening over a long period of time, that it's not just an individual thing. That individual has created something that is a culture, which has created a system, and that system perpetuates all of that. In other words, it's incredibly complex, and much of it happens below the surface of things. And one of the things that we need to realize, because of the travesty of the reality of this, what essentially racism is, is it's an attack on what God's Word has said about humanity. Because the central tenet of the Christian faith is that all are created in the image of God. That's our starting point. Our picture, that's the beginning of Scripture. The end of Scripture is every type, trunk, nation, and language worshiping God. That doesn't change. All of creation, all of humanity, in its beautiful diversity, is a picture of the image of God. And why racism is so evil is that it's taken that tenet of our faith, that centrality of what it is to be human, and it said that is not right. So it's an attack on the Word of God. Following? So as we begin to wrestle with that, we begin to realize how evil this is. And 
because it is so deeply entrenched. If you want to deal with racism, you're not just going to post a black square on your Instagram feed, although that might be good. You're not just going to do some behavioral stuff to try to stand on the side that you think is right. It's not just that you're going to do some little things in your life. No, you've actually got to stand on behalf of the disruption of the whole system. You've actually got to align yourself and say that there's a whole bunch of stuff under the surface that needs to be uprooted. That if we truly believe that all image is crea- all of humanity is created in the image of God, then we need to come and realize that black square is not going to solve it, although that might be a helpful start. There's so much more else. If we truly want to uproot systemic racism, it means that we've got to be willing for a painful process means that we've got to be willing to actually address some unconscious biases that we have. It means that we've got to be actually willing to intentionally tear down the structures that keep privilege in its place and keep it there unnamed. It means that we actually have to intentionally give up power to intentionally put ourselves in a place where we can listen and learn from people who are different from ourselves. Intentionally allow the people who are different from ourselves to set the agenda, particularly those that are being oppressed. It means that we actually have to have reparation for past harms. It means that we have to be willing to walk into the places of greatest pain and hurt and be there and start with the courage of repentance. If we truly want to do that work, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to take time. But it's not work that snips away at the foliage, trying to make the foliage prettier. It's work that gets to the very systemic issue and roots it out forcibly. Are you with me? That's racism. But there's many other things in your life. There's many other things that are going on for you. There are many other places where you've believed that lie, where you've come alongside and you've stood with something that God wants to come and and uproot you, whether it's to be unlovable, whether you think that you're not good enough or whatever it might be. Those things need to be uprooted. But here's the important thing. It's not just uprooting that's needed. There is also the importance of tearing down the behaviors that have come because of those broken roots. We need to actually come and tear down the very things that we've put up, that we've willed ourselves up. Because here's the reality. See, your false core beliefs, this is what they do. They create narratives in you that cause you to construct comfort and security for yourself above everything else. Follow this. It's really important. Your broken false beliefs will always cause you to create a construction around you that is there to protect you, that is there to keep you comfortable and safe in a hard world. And it's not a barrier of saying, God, come and help. It's a barrier of placing yourself in the center of the universe and saying, I can do it myself. We do this when we're hurt. We so very often as Christians don't turn to God when we're hurt. We turn to ourselves. And if I can just wool myself in, if I can just make sure that I'm safe and protected, I can get myself out of that hurt. So I want to talk a little bit 
about tearing down some of that stuff. This is moving from the uprooting to the tearing down. Today is Father's Day. It's a hard, intense day for me. It's a funny thing for me. Because on the one side, I'm a father. And my little daughter Mia loves me. Yeah. And she wants to celebrate me. And I love it when she worships me. Yeah, that don't rhyme me anymore. But you know what I'm saying. So, so we can't celebrate Father's Day on Sunday because it's my big work day and I'm here the whole day and she's not. So that's kind of weird. So we celebrate the day before. So yesterday, Saturday, was Father's Day. And what happens for the gardeners on Father or Mother's Day is we do this thing called the Yes Day, which means whatever I say to my two girls, they have to say yes. It's my day of power, okay, over them. So they have to say yes. to whatever. And we had a great day yesterday, and, and we had so much fun, and, and we celebrated myself as a father. That was great. But here's the tension for me. At the same time that I welcome and I want to be celebrated as a father, I also think about my father on this day. And, and as you know, my father passed away in March last year. And it's been a long journey for me of dealing with some of the things that were going on in my life. And here's what I've realized. I've realized that there was so much in me that I had created, that I had constructed around me to protect me in my relationship with my father. Now, I want to explain that because that might sound a bit bad. My father was an amazing man. He was a great father. I wouldn't have wished for any other father. My, my father cared for me and loved me from day one. My father was a deeply religious person and, and, and brought me up in the faith with my mom. So my mom and dad created this wonderful, nurturing Christian environment. It was fantastic. Much of who I am today is because of their faithfulness, their love, and their commitment. But something happened a few years back where my dad had been quite hurt by the church. He wasn't coming here to the vine. It was, to, it was in another church context. But in that church, he had been deeply hurt. And he'd been hurt a couple of times by a different group of pastors throughout his time at that church. And he got to the point where my dad rejected two things. He rejected the charismatic expression of faith. And largely, he began to reject church itself, and particularly the trust of a pastor. Now, all of that happened at the very same time that I became senior pastor here at the vine. And as you can imagine, this created a, an interesting tension between myself and my father. That in the same time that he was turning his back a little bit on the church and turning his back in terms of the hurt that had been in his life about pastors, his son now was a pastor of a large charismatic church. And so despite the fact that I love my dad and he loves me, we grew apart in those last few years of his life. And our relationship became very surface. Because there was a lot of stuff underneath that neither of us were really willing to talk about. And I realized for me and myself, I created some constructs around me, some behaviors, some walls, which stopped me from deeply engaging with my father on this issue. What I needed to do was to pull down those barriers, pull down the things that I had created to protect myself, and actually have a deep conversation with my dad. And one of the greatest things that I regret is never having done that. When my father got cancer last year, uh, between getting diagnosed and dying two and a bit weeks, and I never had the time to have the conversations that I know I needed to have. So my father passed away with him still, I think, a little bit protective for me and my relationship and for me having protected and guarded myself against him. And we never had the time to resolve it. When I was on sabbatical, God brought his word. Because when there's stuff like that in your life that either needs to be uprooted or torn down, you can't do it in your own strength. It's got to be the power of God. And God brought his word to me 
And I began to realize the constructs I had created that created this barrier with my father. And as I was walking one day, I walked into this kind of fog up on a hill in a mountain in Santa Fe in the U.S. And I walked into there, and as soon as I walked into this fog, I heard this voice. And it was God's voice, as far as I understand God's voice in my life. He said, you are my son, Andrew, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It was so good to hear God say that about me. But as soon as I'd heard those words, I then heard another voice. And it was my father's voice, my earthly father, Richard. And he said, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And that was the thing that was enabled me to break down the walls, to tear down those things that had unfortunately kept me away from the conversation that I needed to have with my dad. And almost in this kind of strange way, I had that conversation with him on the mountain that day. And I was able to pour out my heart and my tears and my anger and my love of him. And I could feel that he was with me and present with me in that. And it felt like the conversation that I should have had whilst he was alive happened in that moment. And it was deeply healing for me because God wanted to tear down the thing that I had constructed to keep me safe. I was blind to the realities of what needed to change in my life blind to the realities of what I'd constructed, and I was blind to the, to the faulty core beliefs that were inside of me. And see, this is the thing. The enemy not only wants to put those broken core beliefs in you, but he wants to keep you blind from it. He doesn't want you to realize the behaviors that you're doing that is actually harming you rather than giving you freedom. He wants to blind you from those things. The enemy works greatest in the place of blinding God's people. Do you know that actually racism exists through the process of blinding? Racism is outrageously obvious to everyone who experiences it while being incredibly invisible to those that don't. Racism continues through history because of blindness and the forgetfulness of history. And so the way that we begin to turn ourselves around, whether it's in the racism issue or whether it's in our brokenness issue or whether it's in the fact that I'm not loved or the fact that I'm not good enough, how we begin to turn it around is that we actually begin to allow the Holy Spirit through God's Word to open our eyes to what is broken and need healing. In fact, I want to show you this as I draw this to a close from Jeremiah again. This is Jeremiah 1. This is verses 9 and 10. But I'm going to read one more verse that comes straight after it. I want, you to show, I want to show you what God does the very first time that Jeremiah begins to operate with the word. Verse 9 again says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Notice exactly the next verse. The word of the Lord came to me. The first thing God says to Jeremiah, what do you see, Jeremiah? The very first thing. Before he deals with anything, before he begins to talk about Jeremiah's sin, before he speaks about Israel's sin or the nation's sin, he says to Jeremiah, here's the word of God for you in this moment. What are you seeing? What, in other words, are you blind to? What are you not able to see? Because I see it all. And if you were to answer that question, I would be able to then come and begin to work in the word in your life. And I sense God standing over every person in this room throughout our service today. And he's saying, are you seeing? Do you want to see? Do do you want to see the things that are so deeply entrenched, the things that you're not seeing, the lies that you're believing? Do you really want to see them? 
And then do you want to see the behaviors that you've constructed around your life to wall yourself off from having the kinds of conversations that you need to have to bring your healing? Will you let me uproot and tear down for your freedom? Or will you choose to stay blind? Sin wants you to be blind. And we're blind to sin because sometimes that sin is so deep in us that we're not even aware of those false core beliefs. But other times that sin is so obvious to us that we decide to turn a blind eye to it. God's word is saying to you today, do you really want him to come and uproot and tear down? And here's the thing. The first step after we've asked God to open our eyes so we can see both our behaviors and our broken core beliefs that are lies that we are agreeing to, the first thing we do to break the chains of those things is to repent. And repentance is merely this. It is actually naming the lie. It's naming the behavior. It's naming the thing that the enemy wants to keep hidden. And in you naming it before God and before maybe your accountability partners in your life, in you naming it, you break the back of it because the enemy wants to keep it in darkness. But the act of repentance is the naming of the brokenness to bring it into the light. And our first step is to say, this is wrong. I confess this. I name this lie that I am not lovable. No, the scriptures say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The scriptures say, God of love loves me unconditionally. I believe the lie. I confess that I believe it. I name the truth of God's word. And in so doing, I become free. The grace of God to set you free. Do you want to see? And ironically, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Would you close your eyes with me? Holy Spirit, as we are in this moment, as we come before you now, grateful that the word is that double-edged sword grateful that we get invited into grace and truth, grateful that you come to disrupt. Father, we come in this time and in this moment, and Lord, we desire to be uprooted from the false beliefs, the faulty core beliefs that sit in us. We desire to be uprooted from the ways in which these things hold us captive and drive our thinking and our behavior. And so, Lord, I pray for each person in this room, for each person watching online right now. I pray, Lord, that you would come by your spirit and give us sight. Your prayer in this moment might be this. Lord, would you help me to see that which I cannot see? And Lord, would you forgive me from turning a blind eye to the things that I see so often. I encourage you to bring that prayer before the Lord. The Psalms say that we had to ask God to forgive our hidden faults and to forgive us for our conscious acts. And those two things are at work because the enemy is at work. 
And so it's asking, Lord, to open your eyes to the things that are inside of you, that the enemy has placed there, that are lies, that are contrary to the Word of God. And because they're contrary to the Word of God, it's the Word of God that can come to dislodge them and uproot them. And it's also coming to Him and saying, these behaviors, God, I don't want to cut a few branches. I need to cut the tree down. Would you tear down, Lord? Forgive me where I haven't done it. I name it now. With courage and boldness, I name it. Would you tear it down? Father, I pray that, Lord, we would take this seriously. I'm thankful, Lord, that your word brings us to our knees. I'm thankful, Lord, that you want to disrupt us with your word. And so, Lord, we come to you now. And like I said in the message, each one of us, it's different. We're not going to assume what it is for each person in this room. But, Lord, in these big buckets, these broad places of our false core beliefs and our our behavior that we construct around us to keep us safe and comfortable, Lord, in these two places, would you come and show us, Lord, if there is anything that is within us, that is not in alignment with your word and therefore a lie. And what we're essentially saying, Lord, is come and cut us with your sword. And with the Holy Spirit, come and bring us healing. And we recognize that healing begins with repentance, begins with the naming, begins with the courage and the boldness. So Lord, I pray for each person in this room whether it's in this moment before you, whether it's tonight with their wife or spouse or partner, whether it's with their accountability group sometime this week, that there would be a naming that would take place. There would be the confession of saying, this is wrong. I believe this lie or I've acted this way. I've consciously done this. I've not been brave enough to say sorry. I've not come with this. I've Whatever it is, I confess. I name it. I take it out of the darkness. I bring it into the light. I want it exposed because I want to be free of it. And it's not a quick pop out from the soil. There's work to be done in me. And so God, come and do the work in me that you want to do. Take this moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak, to allow the Word of God to come and to do its work.